0: This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host, Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health.
1: Anine, hello. I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for these ongoing conversations exploring how Indian Country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. Well, it's that time of year where families with school-aged children are getting ready for the school year. We're hearing from three people today about schooling and their decisions and approaches to the school year. Ryan Dixon is a member of the Oglala Sioux Tribe in Pine Ridge, South Dakota.
2: I live in the Lower Sioux Indian community, and I am a Dakota language teacher at the two area high schools and at our immersion school on the reservation.
1: He has three children, a college freshman,
3: a ninth grader, and a seventh grader. We'll also hear from Susan Folio. Um, my name is Su- Susan Bolio and I am a citizen of the Red Lake Nation. Um, I live in Brainerd, uh, Minnesota with my family. I have four children. My oldest, she's 21, and then I have a 10-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Susan works for the University of Minnesota Extension with Mille
1: Lacs and Fond du Lac on opioid abuse prevention and treatment. The University of Minnesota gave their employees 160 hours of paid time off, which basically allowed her to manage her children's distance learning and to keep her job. And we'll also
4: hear Sheila Lamb's story. My name is Sheila Lamb. I am Eastern Cherokee and White Earth Ojibwe, mom's side, dad's side consecutively. I am a Cloquet City Council member. I'm on the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Task Force here in Minnesota, and I work for Lifehouse with at-risk and trafficked youth. After years and years on Fond du Lac, um, my daughters and I bought a house in Cloquet, and we've been here the last six years in town.
1: She's been working from home since the start of the pandemic with a flexible work schedule. She has two daughters, a high school junior and senior. Her youngest is on the autism spectrum, so she's been homeschooling for about a year with an IEP, which is an individualized education program for students with special needs. And here to guide us through each story is reporter Melissa Townsend ally, mother, and contributor on this program. And she talked with these parents who are gearing up for the school year. Hey, Leah. How are you? I am just fine. (laughs) How are you, Melissa?
0: From one mother to the other mother,
1: we are not just fine. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. The bar is lowered, I feel like. So fine. You know, I could be fine if I just lower the bar, right? You know what? I
0: respect your your, your optimistic attitude. That is right. We are fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing right now? I know we, we, we went through the uh, not maybe maybe not so fine. Yes. What's new, Melissa?
0: What's new? Well, I have two children and they're getting ready for full distance learning at home. And um, both my husband and I are working and our jobs are from home. So we're all home. I think that the hardest part is that we are all home, but we're actually all doing our own thing. And that doesn't quite register for our eight and our 11-year-old that we're here, but we can't pay attention to them the entire time. That's
1: causing a lot of problems. (laughs) But really, we're doing just fine. We really are. (laughs) So for us, our child is actually going to in-person school. Uh, with all the requirements in place up here in Grand Rapids, and we're just ready to change um, to distance learning if we see the need. Mm-hmm. We're just going to give it a shot, and then if it doesn't work, we're we're going to get them home and yeah. teach them or help teach them from here. So.
0: Susan Bolio, one of the moms we talked to, had a great story about her daughter who was a kindergartner at the time, last year. And Susan is a citizen of the Red Lake Nation. She lives in Brainerd.
3: My kindergartner, she was like, "Um, you know, Mom, when are things going to get back to normal? And I was like, you know, honey, I really don't know. And she goes, well, do you think God knows? And I said, yeah, I mean, maybe God knows. (laughs) She goes, Alexa, call God. (laughs) And then Alexa's like, "I'm sorry, God is not in your contacts." But it was just, you know, this sort of it was. It's it was so just perfectly, you know, like showed how we all felt. Just like, when is there going to be something that makes sense to us again?
0: She says her daughter is super social and really misses her friends. And everyone I talked to said that actually. But you know, it's more than missing your friends. I think it's missing. Normal, like she said, you know. When will things go back to normal?
1: Oh, for sure. I think that's so cute, yeah. <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> I know my kid made the comment this week that his summer was super lame, and you know what it is, right? <laughs> and I was like, you're in good company. Uh, so missing friends and that sense of normalcy is just really, really, really hard.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, like, sometimes I feel like I want to pick up the slack, like, oh, they're bored. Oh, they're lonely. Okay, I'll just step in and, you know, and try and fill that gap. But I can't. I can't. And Susan Bolio was was talking about how difficult it was to juggle for her. Um, Her husband was working full-time out of the house. He does IT for a hospital. And she was trying to manage her full-time job and her three kids, who are all under the age of 10, and they're all in the house. And this is how she described it.
3: Change is hard anyway, but when there's change and you don't know when that end date is, that makes it even harder, especially for people who've experienced lots of trauma, right? We sort of grew up in this chaos and this sense of unknowing. So one of the things I recognized for me is that there were a lot of emotions coming up from my childhood that I had repressed around feeling hopelessness and helplessness and feeling stuck and feeling like it was never going to end. And so it was not easy, um, but it, it was incredibly healing for me. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. If you don't mind sharing something that personal, what did you do with those feelings? How did you sort of move through that?
3: Yeah. So one of the biggest things around moving through feelings, and you said the key word, which is through. A lot of times when difficult emotions are coming up, we want to push it away. We want to avoid it. But we're not able to actually... Uh, move through the energy of that emotion until we actually go through it. So really feeling with it, and sometimes it was just literally like coming out to the garage and just bawling my eyes out, just being you know feeling that sense of like helplessness, hopelessness. Like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is what it is right now, and I'm just gonna let myself feel it to the degree that I that I'm able to be able to to move through it. And so I would say for the first probably month and a half that I mean. So much of my work was just around recognizing those emotions that were coming up in me and, and really allowing myself to feel them to be able to have that energy move through my body and then out then.
1: Wow, that's such a big deal. Susan's so great when she's talking about this. Um, recognizing the feelings and just allowing yourself to feel them instead of trying to constantly push them away. It's a skill. Yeah, I found myself thinking about her this morning as I was trying to do that because I was
0: just trying to, like, I am feeling upset. I am feeling upset. I am, you know, just trying to separate me and the reality from the feeling that I'm having in the moment. It's a really powerful thing, I think, if you can kind of pull it off, you know, Um, because it helps just get that perspective. And I do love the way she talks about that. Ryan Dixon is another person we talked to. He has a ninth and a seventh grader at home, and he teaches Dakota language at three different schools in and around Redwood Falls near the Lower Sioux Indian community. Last spring, he had to teach school from home. At the same time, uh, all of his children were home, trying to do their own schooling from home. And he describes how he had to manage all of that.
2: I'm more of an early morning person myself. So I would, you know, get up and plan hour before I had to teach, um, do my class, and then run upstairs and uh, you know, wake my kids up. You know, I'm teaching class, but maybe the same time I'm texting my kids, hey, are you up?
1: That is amazing. So it just puts so much in perspective, uh, hearing that from Ryan. The mastery level of multitasking that teachers can do is so... Astounding. So big shout out to teachers out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it. So this
0: year, Ryan is going to be teaching at least the year starting off in school. So he'll be out of the house and one of his children will also be out of the house in school, but the other will be learning from home.
2: Now I have to go in and teach. September 8th, the high school starts. So I won't be home majority today. My wife works also. She has to go into work. The only option I have is for my kids to be home by themselves. The big thing is just making sure they're logged on, they're actually paying attention, you know, they're not on their phone.
0: Yeah, Ryan says he plans to check in with his kids regularly just to make sure they're keeping up with what they're supposed to be doing.
2: Just take a few minutes every day and check in with your kid. Just make sure they're keeping on top of things because you have to keep on top of that work or it's just going to pile up and then you're going to get to the point where it's just too much to possibly do. And you, you know, got yourself in a mess.
1: I really appreciate that advice from Ryan. Definitely going to keep that in the back of my mind. I know my kid is a bit younger and his needs are a bit different, but definitely got to keep on top of the school year as things progress. So, and I'm sure it's different for students, depending on their age or their individual needs.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I last year my uh, she's eleven, and you know she just had this long list of assignments to do, you know, by certain due dates. And uh, by the end, we were just like, "You're not doing that one. You're not doing that one." You're like, we're just prioritizing because. She was working pretty hard and couldn't keep on top of it. And I'm a rule follower. The teacher says do it. I want my kid to do it. But at the same time, I was like, this is, this is we we just can't. So I didn't want to yeah. teach her disrespect, but I also needed to teach her, like, you got to, like, take care of yourself, you know. And it's always, like, everything we're talking about is that balancing act, right? Just, like, do it, but take care of yourself. And, and be you can be alone, but let me help you manage your attention like I don't know it's all just so tenuous it feels like do you know
1: what I mean I do a little tangent you know Pareto's principle like 20 percent of the effort provides for like 80 percent of the outcome it's an application of this principle so like having this very focused prioritization um, allows for the majority of progress Uh, and it's just sort of one of those maybe it's just from me being having that my economics background, but being able to pinpoint what you need to do that'll have the greatest impact is a, is a skill in and of itself. So even that is an education, and I think that's a huge takeaway from this time too. Oh, I love that. That's so interesting.
0: You know, my husband and I were talking about like the executive functioning skills of the brain and how younger uh, people just don't have their brain developed to the degree that they can do a lot of executive functioning like prioritizing and -hmm. and, uh, uh, sequencing and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and one thing is I just have to keep reminding myself like she doesn't have the brain for it she's not ready for it it's not because she's lazy (laughs) Mm -hmm. but the other piece is like this really calls on them to do exactly those things even though they're Uh, just
1: too young I know know, I can barely do it right now (laughs) I'm still working on it
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the third parent we talked to, Sheila Lamb, has a has a different kind of challenge on her hands. She has a 16- and 17-year-old. They're both daughters. And her younger daughter was diagnosed with Asperger syndrome, so she's on the autism spectrum. And she was diagnosed only about a year or two ago. Um, but she was already home doing a school program with an IEP. So when distance learning came, she still had to sort of figure some things out in a different way because the staffing changed. But things still changed for her, and Sheila said she really needed people to work with to make it work for her daughter.
4: I can't speak highly enough about the importance of having a very engaged case manager that's willing to call you in the evening and go above and beyond. And we were fortunate enough to have that. And that's where places like PACER Um, here in Minnesota, help so tremendously.
0: So PACER is the Minnesota Parent Training and Information Center, and they provide resources for family with children who have special needs. They have a specific American Indian parent network, too.
4: If your child is on an IEP, you can get a parent advocate that helps you navigate all of this, helps you work through some of the problems can give you legal advice, definitely they let you know your rights and your child's rights. And for me, that was something I really needed assistance with. And in the long run, it was our saving grace at getting the IEP to the point of where it needed to be.
0: What she's talking about just really reminds me of how much we need other people on our team, you know, our Mm -hmm. teachers, in this case, a case manager, a parent advocate. I mean, So much of what I've been feeling over the last six months is just, like, I've been abandoned by everybody and everything that was ever a resource for me and my kids, you know? And now it's all on my shoulders. And to hear her talk about being able to call somebody up and be like, help, I don't know how to handle this, or, hey, I'm facing this situation. Like, to have somebody at the other end of the phone, like, that is powerful, you know, and I just was so happy that she was actually, you know, hopefully people will hear that as a resource even on this show and and if they need the help, call.
1: You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health, I'm Leah Lem. The pandemic has shifted so many things, from travel to dining out, to healthcare and schooling, and today we're hearing from three parents, Ryan Dixon, Susan Bolio, and Sheila Lamb, about how they and their families are making decisions for the upcoming school year. And I'm joined by reporter and another parent, Melissa Townsend, who spoke with the parents about their experiences.
0: All three of the parents, Susan, Ryan, and Sheila, are talking about moving away from the curriculum the school is providing, right? Mm -hmm. And for Sheila, she feels like that's what's best for her daughter with autism anyway.
4: Typical of a child on the spectrum, you have to address where their interests are. She's really gotten into gardening. She has a garden that has absolutely exploded. So we started talking about in biology. Let's give her credit for this. She started everything from seed. And this is a life experience. And she's the type of child that wants to know how it's applicable in her life as opposed to just learning.
1: That's so great. What Sheila's highlighting is a really wonderful way of learning.
0: You know, yeah. Susan Bolio, the the mom of four, is um, actually going to go totally off school this coming year. She's researching something called unschooling because last year's distance learning experience just she felt really didn't work for her family. Here's what she said about last year.
3: Like my kindergartner would have anywhere from three to three and a half hours every day of videos that she had to watch and then activities to do. And she's such a social kid. She loved going to school, but hated sitting behind a screen on the computer. And so... I basically would spend all morning and part of the afternoon helping her get her stuff done. And then I would lay the toddler down after lunch. And then I would work for a couple hours until my husband got home at 4.30. And then I would work into the evening. You know, I'm helping the the six-year-old get her stuff done. And then the two-year-old has... I felt so bad because, you know, I wasn't able to really play with him to do those types of things. He basically was just like running around the house, throwing toys all over, you know, because it was just like me and the girls and I'm trying to help them get their school done.
0: Yeah. You know, the thing about that is she feels so bad for her son and she's trying to help her daughters and Mm -hmm. she's working around the clock. You know, she's up Mm -hmm. with her kids. They get up early. You know, they do. They're little kids. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's, you know, sort of tag teaming between the kids all day. And then her husband gets home. And then she sits down to do her full time job. Like I, I need people to understand that that's what parents are doing if they're lucky enough to even have a job. That's what life mm. looks like right now, you know. And then you go to bed stressed. Like I just, I don't, I just want people to hear that, you know.
1: Yeah. How many full time jobs can you have? It seems like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's incredible the the. The amount of priorities, the number of priorities we have, because it's all a priority.
0: Exactly. So the Brainerd Schools where Susan lives has full day in-person classes starting in the fall this year, just in a week. Uh, mm-hmm. But she says she's not doing any of it.
3: So we have decided we, <laughs> um, we are going to homeschool and we're going to do something called unschooling. <laughs> You know, where it's more driven by the kids' interest and sort of building math science, reading, writing, all art, all of that around subjects and content that they're interested in. I just knew it it would be impossible for us to relive the spring for like, you know, any amount of time this upcoming school year, um, much less for a whole school year.
0: And Susan says her two-year-old can be a part of what she does with her daughters, so he doesn't have to be running around the house while they're stuck on a screen. She plans to keep her job, working nights and weekends, so she can be with her children most of the days. She wants her kids off the screens and into the world.
3: I know there are lots of different, even free, resources out there for teaching math and reading and writing and art and different things like that. So I've um, been following a couple friends on Facebook who are thinking of doing the same thing and people are sharing resources like check out this or check out that. And I sort of started a list of um, potential resources for uh, curricula and things like that.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
3: that's awesome (laughs) and it's interesting because her kids school is going to start
0: up in person but it could be just a matter of time before they go back home right so you never know what you're going to get so I think that's the other thing is she's like we're just going to make a decision we're just going to take this into our own hands and Mm -hmm. instead of like let's try and survive this she's saying well let's see what we can really do you know with this opportunity
1: and you know even through the summer here Uh, just trying to kind of have some educational (laughs) experiences. I know with my kid, that's so effective. So there is a popular uh, musical that was released (laughs) for streaming this summer. And just through the music, it's really prompted like learning vocabulary, learning about history uh, looking into history a bit more, you know what was happening during the time frame of this musical, uh, and music itself—all these different aspects that can come from, that can spring from an interest, like a, a musical, for example—you're know, just finding those those things that a kid gravitates towards, and then exploring it really, really fully.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's so right. I mean, that is sort of learning from curiosity, which is kind of, I think, kind of the the best way to go.
1: Yeah, and bringing up, you know, she talked about screen time. Whoo, three-plus hours on the screens. I, that's that's hard. You know, it's hard to do that as an adult, to stare at a screen um, for work. And, <laughs> and I, yeah, I can't imagine it for a kid to... Spend so much time on a screen. I know my kid gets really agitated very easily if he's on screens for a long time. So I don't know all the answers for everybody, but it's really cool to see what Susan is doing with her family. Yeah, for sure. In the
0: spring, I started to think about this pandemic as a real opportunity for like, what can we do differently? What can we rethink differently? Like this could be an opportunity to really change some of the things we've been doing that haven't been working. But as time has marched on, I've sort of moved into just like, how do we hang on through another day? <laughs> Frankly. Mm-hmm. And this conversation with Susan was like, wait a minute. Yes, we can go back to thinking about how do we use this as an opportunity to do something different and i love what she says about that
3: what this provides us is an opportunity in all things but especially right now in education to rethink what are we doing and why are we doing it like what what is truly important and what are those skills that, um, as, even as I think about, you know, my 10-year-old, she loves to cook and she loves to bake. Like, there's so much math and science in that. Why, you know, why can't we sort of build it into those meaningful activities as opposed to the way that school tends to be structured? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, school tends to be very compartmentalized. <laughs> That's math over there. That's science over there. That's art over there. When in reality, they're... Connected.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So Susan Bolio and Brainerd will be unschooling her children this fall and teaching them from real-world experiences, like cooking, while she and her spouse are both working full-time. And then Ryan Dixon will be at Lower Sioux, and he'll be helping his older kids manage school, one at home, one in school, while he himself teaches at three different schools. And Sheila Lamb in Cloquet will be working full-time and assisting her two children from home with the help of her support network that she's worked so hard to put in place.
1: Yeah, a lot of different decisions for a lot of different families.
0: Yeah, everybody's got a different situation, right? But I think, like, to be sure, there will be good days and there will be hard days. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah, let's just lay that down right now. That's to be expected and it's okay, and we'll work through it.
0: That's right. And Susan, of course, being the professional who deals with this stuff, had a wonderful piece of advice uh, that she herself sort of practices. So I wanted to leave everyone with this.
3: When I start to feel that anxiety about, you know, the the upcoming school year, and you know, in just a few weeks we'll be we'll be starting this. Um, just that, like remembering that. It's gonna be uncomfortable for a while because we're figuring out something new. And anytime you're working you're trying to do something new, it's uncomfortable. And so how do we sort of just be in that and recognize it and name it and move through it until we find our new, our new normal, our new flow. Um, and, and that's gonna take some time. So I think for me, remembering that and having some compassion for myself around that is gonna be important. So compassion.
1: Compassion. I like it. Thank you for leaving us with Susan's words there. It's hard to remember in the moment to have compassion. So this is a nice reminder going forward.
0: You know, you just remind me of something Susan told me that uh, I wanted to include. She talked about how supportive her husband was. And she said Mm -hmm. one of the most supportive things he did was to say, you are doing an incredibly hard thing. This is legitimately hard. And she said, you know, that's so much better than somebody saying, what's the big deal? It's fine. You're fine. We're fine, right? (laughs) (laughs) For him to recognize the gravity of the situation and what she was trying to do, she said, just made a world of difference. So, you know, in terms of advice, advice, if we can do that for each other, too. Just say, like, it is that hard. It is. And if you make it through the day and your kids are okay, you're okay. It's okay, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. And thank you for chatting and sharing those conversations you had with the wonderful parents. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening today. Chimigwech. There are a lot of stories and paths, just so many journeys we're all on. And all are different with particular challenges, strengths, and choices. And I'm incredibly grateful to those who shared their stories today, Ryan Dixon, Sheila Lamb, and Susan Bolio. And for all of you who are making those mindful and thoughtful decisions to help our communities from youth to elders, Stay safe and cared for. Giga Wabaman and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota
0: Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.